0: In Nigeria, the terrorist group Boko Haram has swept through certain regions, killing Christians. Paul Childers visited church leaders in the aftermath of some of these attacks, and this is what he
1: heard. We don't wish any of these people ill. We're not here to attack them. We don't want to fight back. We wish them that they would understand the gospel. We wish eternal life, and we forgive them. That was their words directly to us. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and I'm in the studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with Paul Childers. Paul is from Youth With a Mission. We will call it probably the rest of this half-hour YWAM. He is the director of the University of the Nations in Kona, Hawaii. So we'll talk a little bit about what that is and what they do. Paul, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Paul, you've had some involvement in Nigeria, which is a country where VOM also has work and involvement. Talk a little bit about the ministry that you've seen there, that YWAM is involved in there, uh, including reaching reaching some people we would say, no, 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 they're, they're never going to be reached. YWAM has folks that are seeing those people come to Christ.
1: That's correct. There is no place that's too difficult for the, for the, for the gospel. There really isn't. And his gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who has faith. And so it doesn't matter how difficult or how challenging, his gospel still works. And we've been working in a number of different fields in Nigeria, one in the south. The issue is the militancy that started in the 80s, 90s due to uh, oil and gas exploration. And the money simply wasn't getting through to the people so the young people, they got mobilized, it turned into violence, the sent in the army, it escalated, and the situation became deeply, deeply destabilized. So eventually the government people came to the churches there and said, you need to find the solution for this. The government can't find the solution. Uh, you need to. So that started a process of the YWAM team there in the southern part of the country saying, okay... We're going to reach out. And I tell you, not a mission field that is boring by any <laughs> shape of the imagination. Um, the YOM is there uh, living under constant, constant threat uh, to their lives, to their families. My wife is a photographer, and uh, she went there to document what was going on and how these militants are turning away from their violence, laying down their weapons and actually becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean, story after story after story, like these young people have done the most terrible things you could ever imagine. And I I don't want to rehearse them uh, now, but whatever you can imagine, they've done it. And so Susie was like, well, I'd like to preach the gospel to a militant. And so they were like, no, it's too dangerous. But my wife, she's German and bold. And they couldn't dissuade her. So they all, they all drove to one of the central places where the militancy was. And uh, she met a young militant by the name of Promise. So she shared the gospel with him and how he could change his life, repent of his sins, experience forgiveness, and have a new life. And after she had done kind of preaching to him, said, do you want to follow Jesus? Now, this guy had cuts on his faces. He had tattoos in the corner of his eyes where he had been a killer. He had actually taken people. He was a murderer. And he had just been in that, living that lifestyle. And he said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Wow. And so she said, well, what do we do with him? And all of the young YWAM was like, Discipleship training school, DTS, because <laughs> that's all they know. And That's the
0: next step. <laughs> that,
1: that evening, this young militant who had started the morning as a militant, got saved in the afternoon and was in DTS in the evening, uh, listening to lectures about how God was a father and, and loved him. Wow. And he had to repeat his DTS twice because he uh, was a little rough when he came in. But his life was uh, fully changed and transformed. And uh, we set up after that. Susie, my wife, had promised to sponsor his DTS. And after that, we started a sponsorship program. Over a 1,000 of these kind of young people had gone through the training there and received those uh, scholarships. Just a little post note to the story, though. Ended a little sad. um, Promise then went back after four or five years in the mission to visit with his mum. And the militancy that was largely settled. Uh, over thirty thousand militants had laid down their weapons through this this outreach. Uh, just phenomenal. That, that changes a nation, literally. It, it changed the area very much so, and it, it was a dramatic, dramatic turnaround. But then he went back to visit his mum, and and things had started to bubble up again, and so his old gang. Uh, was after him to bring him back. And so he said no, and then he wanted to come back to Waiwam. He felt unsafe. So he was waiting for a, a transport to get back to the the youth with the mission base, and the gang saw him and put 15 bullets into him. Wow. And so he literally laid his life down for the Lord because of that circumstance. But his legacy lives on in uh, many other young people that have uh, got training and now we're trying to expand the work amongst these young people.
0: I know as you have been in Nigeria, you've traveled to some uh, out-of-the-way places, mm-hmm. uh, dangerous places, and yeah. and you've had bouts where you were afraid. Yeah. Like, are we, are we sure we're <laughs> supposed to go there? Uh, Lord, are you sure you're sending me there? Shouldn't you be sending someone else there? Talk a little bit about that fear mm-hmm. and how you overcame it, how you kept doing what God had called you to do.
1: We also, as a part of our project, were wanting to support the Christians who had lost everything because of their testimony for Jesus and for the word of God. And uh, many of them had laid down their lives. And so we uh, were raising funds to rebuild churches that had been sort of blown up and destroyed. And we had done that over a period of four or five years and we sort of built the next church and the next one uh, through our YWAM contacts. And eventually the leader, they challenged me to actually go into these places, not just to send the money, but come myself. And I was like, uh, isn't that kind of dangerous? Isn't it like Boko Haram and these crazy groups there? And uh, the leader there was like, well, uh, they're mostly gone, though they're in pockets, but it'll be okay. I wasn't sure at That's all. That's not very comforting. They're <laughs> mostly gone. <laughs> yeah, they're mostly gone. I knew that I would like be the only white person in the vicinity because it's not what you would call a tourist destination. So there I am, and in the in the process of 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 going there, I'm I'm afraid. But my wife, she she's this bold, courageous woman, and she'll go anywhere with a camera in hand, and will evangelize and do everything. She said to me if the Lord is calling you, you've got to go. And I'm like, yeah, but, but he's like, no buts. If he's called you, you have to do it. So I went back to prayer. And the only prayer that I really had to pray is God, please send someone else. And I couldn't (laughs) pray the prayer. I knew I had to go. So cut a long story short, we ended up going there. And I really felt like I was putting myself in a very vulnerable position by being there. And it was like, I had to in a real sense pick up my cross and i i felt like this was this could be it i might have to lay my life down for jesus putting myself in that situation i met with a group of pastors and i actually got the opportunity of teaching the book of revelation to them i didn't know that uh, before i went there and the the message of the book is that jesus is the king he is coming again he will bring justice, and, and that picture of how great he is just came so real to me, that he is worthy of it all. He, in and of himself, is worthy, not because of any other motivation, but Jesus himself is worthy of all honor, wealth, wisdom, power, strength, all of these things that the book of Revelation ascribes to him. And as I was there as a little scared Kiwi missionary, trying to make a little difference, this courage rose in my spirit. And it was like, I, I I finally really truly understood what it was like to have that kind of grace. It wasn't something that was drummed up. It wasn't something that I felt like, well, you know, I'm this great big hero kind of a guy. But... Just the courage of knowing that Jesus was worthy of everything of my life. And at that point, I was willing, truly willing to surrender and willing to count any cost for him. So it really, it it really touched me. You know, I went there to bless them and they ended up blessing me.
0: And I think all of us who have done that kind of thing have had that experience of, wow, Mm. I thought it was going to be great for them to be able to meet me. And then Mm -hmm. I come home and think, wow, it was great for me to be able to be with brothers and sisters like that. I, I think of talking about the book of Revelation with people who are in the situation where Boko Haram is in the next village or the next city, mm-hmm. the next hillside, mm-hmm. and, and thinking about verses uh, like, you know, how long, oh Lord, mm-hmm. are you going to let this go on? You yeah. know, look at all these people yeah. who are dying for you. How long are you yeah. going to let this go on? Yeah. What was it like for you as you looked at some of those passages with pastors and leaders who know people who have laid down their lives. They know that they could lay down their own lives in the next month, in the next week. What was it like to look at some of those passages together in that situation?
1: You know, I really never understood the book of Revelation until I sat there with these leaders who had lost husbands, wives, kids, parishioners. The book of Haram had been in this particular place, just until recently till I was there and you could still see in the road, the carnage of war, right? And so it was still very, very fresh. We'd been to other parts of the country where, uh, we couldn't go to the end of uh, the journey because the religious cleansing, if I could call it like that. And that's really what Mm -hmm. it is. I don't use that word lightly, but it is a systematic purging of Christianity. We couldn't go to the end of the road because that was happening. Where we were going, so very, very real, and and sitting with these um, these men and women of God, and and thinking about the statement in the book of Revelation, how long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge, right? But that really is the message of the book. Judgment belongs to the Lord. So many people go, the Booker, I can't understand the book of Revelation. There's so much judgment, but if If you're losing people, if you're losing your wife or your kids or your husband, you have to know that God is just and he will bring justice, but also that that's his role. It's not our role to fight back. I met with uh, pastors with one of the leaders of Germany, one of the political leaders who was on the Human Rights Committee, and I, I took him on a tour. It was an interesting trip. And we met with the Christian leaders and they said, we don't wish any of these people ill. We're not here to attack them. We don't want to fight back. Wow. We wish them that they would understand the gospel. We wish eternal life and we forgive them. That was their words um, directly to us. The only thing they were concerned about is misrepresentation in the media. That was making it look like it was they were fighting. They said, that's not what this is about. We want them to have eternal life. And so these courageous men and women of God, to stand in the midst of that and keep preaching the good news, it, it is powerful. But I think that that call for justice is, is very much a part of the book of Revelation in particular. And you see it also in the Psalms, right? This yearning for justice. But justice belongs to God our role is to preach the word in season and out of season whether it's convenient or not convenient that we see the gospel advance
0: we're talking today on voice of the martyrs radio with paul childers he's the director of university of the nations in kona hawaii which is a ministry of youth with a mission or ywam paul we talk about you university of the nations in training there are people who listen to Voice of the Martyrs Radio who maybe are sensing God is calling them out of whatever they're doing now into gospel service and even into overseas or cross-cultural service. Give them some advice. If they're just starting that journey, give them some advice about next steps and how to think and how to pray as they embark on that.
1: Yeah, the Lord speaks to us, and He does put callings on our lives for as a long-term thing or a short-term thing. And if you're feeling like that nudge, keep on just praying and seeking the Lord and educating yourself. Like where, where is it that the Lord you are calling uh, me to? What's the specific thing that that I can do to contribute? And I would recommend that every young person they have some kind of engagement and involvement whether it's locally or globally, in preaching of the good news. Uh, One of the things that we do offer at the University of the Nations uh, is what we call a discipleship training school. And so this is an environment, not really like a Bible school per se, but it's an equipping to enable people to be a missionary, young people uh, to be a missionary. People do it with other young people normally. That's by far the largest group of people who come. And so it's fun. You get to know a lot of people, but you really do get trained and equipped to be able to serve God uh, locally and around the world. But I mean, there are so many ways that young people uh, or a person of any age can actually be involved. And so it's just a matter of really taking that next step. So many good ideas end up sort of discarded along the way because we weren't able to bring it to the point. And I I would say this is the the biggest thing. Like if you're feeling like God is calling you, it's never going to really be convenient. You know, it's like, yeah, how do I get the money? Well, this comes up or you fall in love or something is going on. But it's about saying, you know what, I'm going to do this. So that would be my number one encouragement is take the step. It might not be for your whole life, but take the step. And you will understand how to serve the Lord in your local community or around the world, depending on who God calls you to. But in University of the Nations, had many young people come to us. We've trained over 600,000 people over 40 years in basically every country in the world. Come join us, too, if you like.
0: I want to talk about part of that training. And you've talked about your own fear in Nigeria. You're sending workers— everywhere in the world, hard places, places where Christians are killed for their faith in Christ. How do you teach them to overcome that fear or to take that step in spite of their fear?
1: Serving the Lord in missions, you will always have to overcome that to some extent. For some people, it might be the thought of spiders or (laughs) snakes, strange (laughs) strange food. You need to overcome that. Now, in our discipleship training school program, we don't necessarily send the young people into, like, the toughest places in the world, right? But but there is an overcoming. And I think the way that you overcome fear isn't by being brave. It's really understanding the value of Jesus. He is worthy of my life. He is worthy of everything. And to be so focused on him and obeying simply what he says and uh, hearing his voice and stepping it out. Just that simple step of obedience. It's not about being a hero. It's really about obeying what he calls you to do. And of course, there are many places in the world which it's fun to do evangelism. You can preach the gospel publicly. You're not going to have any bad follow-ups. But still, that courage to do that, Mm -hmm. it still requires that. And so hearing from God, stepping out and doing it and so it's it's not about being brave or or just being courageous but it's really truly about obeying what God calls you to do. And that's the heart of it.
0: And I like the fact that that lesson applies just as much to comfortable American Christians as it does to Nigerian Christians or Afghan Christians or North Korean Christians or whatever. Right. God's going to call you to do something and you need to be obedient to that. Simply that really step is out. A, a key point for us. Paul, as we finish up, we always like to equip people to pray. Mm -hmm. So how can our listeners pray? And I want to focus first specifically on Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Uh, The work that YWAM is doing in Nigeria, the, the people that you've talked about, how can we pray for that situation in Nigeria?
1: I think the first thing I would pray for is courage to keep on preaching the gospel under the threat of violence persecution martyrdom uh, the second thing would be the resources to be able to to do that uh, it's not the easiest place in the world to get resources to but that they would really be truly equipped and to be assisted in their in their mission I think number three a favor that the gospel is really good news to the people of the region so if you're caught in a religion of it's always demanding and you never really know about your eternal salvation, that the gospel is good news and that the Lord does such an incredible thing that revival sweeps across that part of the country and that the, that the good news is widely embraced and that in that part of the world that there is a fundamental movement Towards Christ.
0: And then secondly, how can we pray for the University of the Nations and the work in Kona, the work that you're involved in? How can our listeners pray for that?
1: Wisdom would be the thing that we really need right now. Really understanding as we grow as a mission, we have the challenge to disciple nations and the Lord is opening the doors to really develop in some countries kind of like a national engagement where you can really do that. How do we do that? in a way that sees God's kingdom uh, being introduced in a way that might not have been seen before. So so uh, wisdom, to to know how to do that. Secondly, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more laborers. We have a vision to release through YWAM 200,000 new missionaries to be able to, there's 400,000 missionaries globally mm-hmm. in every denomination. And we're believing for 200,000 more missionaries. Wow to be released, to preach the good news. Jesus is winning in the world. There are so many ripe harvest fields. I got a report from some of our team members who have been preaching in, in what was just a res- restricted access country as well as another one. 190,000 people hearing the gospel personally and of those, 120 of them saying, I want to follow the Lord Jesus. Wow. The harvest is ripe. We just need people. People willing to say, I'll get involved in that, whether it's an easy or a hard mission field, it's still an open mission field. So pray that the Lord would release uh, the people to us in Kona as well as around the world. And obviously, we're not the only mission and so into those missions as well. (laughs) And so that would be that would be a, a second thing. Yeah. And then the ability to be able to support that kind of a movement in terms of the nuts and bolts of things that we need to get in place, to have a training campus uh, of that magnitude and and that that large, so those would be three things.
0: Well, that's a big vision.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you have Lauren Cunningham as the founder, <laughs> that's like a requirement, right? You got to have a big vision.
0: Uh, Speaking of Lauren Cunningham, I would encourage our listeners, if you did not hear, we have had Lauren Cunningham here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you go to vomradio.net, you can hear those interviews. We've also had uh, some of the Frontier Missions folks from YWAM, the people who are going into some of these hostile, closed-access countries. We've had several of them on Voice of the Martyrs Radio as well. Paul, it is great to have you here. If people want to connect with YWAM, Our listeners, how do they do that? What's the best way to connect?
1: Our website is ywamkona.org or uofnkona.edu. Great. So we'll have those websites as well
0: on our website, vomradio.net. Paul Childers is the director of the University of the Nations in Kona, Hawaii, which is a ministry of youth with a mission. Paul, it's great to hear your heart, and thank you for being with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As we mentioned, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. We'll give you links there to connect with YWAM in Kona, as well as the University of the Nations. In First Peter 5, we're told to be faithful here on earth— knowing that we'll receive crowns when Jesus comes again. That verse became very real to a church leader while he was imprisoned in Eritrea. We're going to hear his story next week right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.